Hi, everybody. It's Dan Sullivan, and this is Exponential Wisdom, and Peter's here, and we're all fresh and blown away by the recent A360 in a new place in California, down the coast a bit from LAX. Not the ideal California weather, which actually worked in your favor, Peter, because it was cold, windy, and rainy. And kept every- everybody inside focused everybody on the Everybody wanted to be inside, <laughs> but uh, terrific lineup. The AI, I thought, was 360 degrees. The five speakers that you had really provided very, very different points of view about AI. And then both of our favorites, regenerative medicine, was really terrific, and One person that I met, Tim Nelson, who's part of the Mayo Clinic, was bringing us an update on his stem cell cure for one aspect of congenital heart disease for newborn babies. And we had a party for him, and he raised a good amount of money on that evening to cure. It's about 100,000 a baby, and he's got more for three babies. So that was terrific. Yeah, this was year 11, Dan, of since you encouraged me to do this for 25 years. Yes. So we're almost at the midway point. We're entering year 12. And I'll tell you, running Abundance 360, which every year, you know, looks a year back at what's happened in computation, sensors, networks, AI, robotics, 3D printing, synthetic biology, AR, VR, blockchain, and then looks three years ahead and a decade ahead, it's becoming harder and harder to put this program together. Mm -hmm. The speed is insane. It's palpably insane. In some areas, it's way further than Marina Del Rey when we had our first meeting, uh, Marina Del Rey. Some of way beyond, and that's because of the stem cell breakthroughs combined with AI as a accelerated testing And this is way beyond Moore's Law. This is like 10,000 faster that you can do what used to take a manual test in the lab that can now be done electronically. I found that. And some of them haven't gone as fast. And there's some of them that I think are really facing terrific headwinds without a lot of government subsidies and mandates. My feeling is if you're constantly requiring subsidies and mandates... It's really not a fair test if the marketplace is really ready for you or not. It's interesting just to reflect on some of the, you know, the two favorite. We had this year five modules, a detailed module, whole day on AI, then abundance thinking, exponential thinking, moonshot thinking, longevity thinking. And I think the two that are the favorites always are AI and longevity, like you said. Right. They personally are accessible to everybody in the audience. Yeah. That's a big jump. I mean, what we were talking about and you were talking about specifically as possibilities 11 years ago are bets today. You can actually bet on it. And it's very interesting. I went back and looked at some of my blood tests. And in 2017, my biological age was 74 when I was 73. Mm. And now my biological age is 68 as I'm going on 79. It's hard work. It's doing the work on exercise, sleep, diet, mindset. It is doing the work. And And the testing is so much better today. Yeah, if you pay extra, they can make you younger on the test. 
Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be human if there wasn't room for bribes. But people ask me, you know, do I need to be working this hard all the time? And my answer is, listen, your job right now, this decade, is to do everything you can within reason to keep yourself healthy for as long as possible to intercept those therapeutics, those pills, those treatments, mm -hmm. right? Right now, I'm getting, hopefully, this fall, we're going to launch what we've called historically our age reversal XPRIZE. We're renaming it, rebranding it a HealthSpan XPRIZE, which the goal is to reverse your functional age in skin, immune, muscle, and cognition by 20 years. Mm -hmm. So super excited about that because, you know, this is the decade, and we heard a lot. We heard Jack Hittery talking about quantum technologies and what's coming there. Mm -hmm. We heard a lot from Imad Mustak on AI and impact on biology, and then a whole bunch on stem cells, cellular medicine. And it's all converging. And like you said, it's happening thousands of times faster mm -hmm. than before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We just had our first sign up for Freezone, who's a quantum scientist. Mm -hmm. He just sold his lab. He had a cryogenic lab in Montana, and he sold yeah. it really big. And he's now part of a task force to create all the supply networks for the quantum computing industry in the United States. Because even at the level of the big corporates, it's been piecemeal, all the different supply inputs that you have to have to develop. And Luke Mortensen, great guy, yeah, grew up on a ranch in Montana, and he's got that frontier look about him, but he's been very, very much connected with the White House and the Energy Department and everything else. But now he got a big paycheck. He sold his business and he'll be joining within the next 90 days. He'll be in free zone. So he'll bring another asset. Nice. I look forward to meeting him. Yeah, we had David Sinclair again back this year mm -hmm. at A360. We'll have half a day with David and his lab during the platinum trip coming up. But the thing that shocked me was I didn't realize when I was interviewing David on stage that he has moved his epigenetic reprogramming from mice into primates. That's super exciting. Yeah. It's a big deal. Yeah, it's a big, big deal. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. I write a book every quarter and I committed to that when I was 70. So I'm pushing the end of the decade. And in 34 quarters, I've written 34 books. So my goal is 100 books in 100 quarters. It's a little sidelight there. If you want to have a long health span, have goals that demand that you be energetic and healthy. I love the way you phrase it, Dan, and I quote you on this, you know, have a future bigger than your past. You always have to have a future bigger than your past. Yeah. yeah. And then you should not die from something stupid in the interim as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Skydiving, things like uh, that. Just, just you know, wear, wear your seatbelt. <laughs> Dueling like Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. The last book I just got finished, the interview process, and then I have a whole writing team that actually writes it. I do all the pre-thinking, but I have finished writers. So that'll be out 1st of June, but it's called Geometry, and Geometry is in quotation marks for staying cool and calm. Okay, and the whole thing, I think we live in sort of the age of rage right now. My sense, a lot of what you talk about is making people scared. And we talked about this in the early days before A360 was a reality, is that when people 
place their hopes and their guesses and their bets in a world condition, and then the world changes, and it's changing because of technology, it's changing for security matters, and everything everything gets unsettled, and they're angry, okay, they're angry, and they're upset, and they're Scared. furious that the world isn't turning out the way that they may have been promised 20 years ago or 25 years ago, or they thought they were promised. They're very, very unsettled by it, and social media is there to multiply their upset. Hmm. So this book, I use the word geometry because in my college days, I went to a school that just read the great books of the Western world, of which Euclid's geometry, 300 BC in Alexandria, He's an aggregator. I don't think he was the originator of any of this, but I think he was an aggregator of all the established mathematical principles in the Middle East, basically the Mediterranean, Eastern Mediterranean, where a lot of civilizations had been formed. Many of them had passed. And he wrote, I think it's nine books of geometry principles. And the first 47 is a jewel. And it's got 47 propositions, and you can't get to number two unless you accept number one, and you can't get to number 47 unless you've gone through the other 46. And that really appealed to my sense of buildup of order. Mm -hmm. But this geometry is how, in a world where everything's changing, how do you stay cool and calm about that? Not only give the appearance that you're cool and calm, but you're actually inside, you're feeling cool and calm. (laughs) So I came up with three rules that are the basis of this 21st geometry. And the three rules are, number one, everything is made up. Okay, so anything that we can think about, talk about, is made up. You can go back, and sometimes there's good records. Sometimes it's just estimated that things were made up. So anything that we'll talk about today We'll hit on topics and subjects. Everything that we're going to talk about was made up. And that being the case, so you're free to make up anything you want, too, if you can find a buyer for your guests. Number two is nobody's in charge. So you can take charge, okay? And a a great example is your XPRIZE. You just took charge. Nobody was in charge of creating the first civilian plane to go into outer space, and you just took charge, created a prize, got a lot of astronauts to say that this was a great idea, and you got a check writer who could write a check for the prize. It produced how many times, 20 times the amount of research value? Yeah, we typically had, on the average, we've launched about $300 million in prizes that is driven about five billion in R and D. So mm-hmm. you know, at a minimum it's ten, at a maximum it's forty. Mm-hmm. It depends on the price, yeah. Mm-hmm. You have a number of big ones that were launched just in the last couple of years. And then the third one is life's not fair. Okay. Humans can create a thing called fairness, but by nature, nothing's fair. Things happen when they happened. Some of the things that happen disadvantage people. Others, it gives them enormous advantages, and there's nothing fair about it. And in Europe, who've decided to do their best to see if they can get back to the 18th century, Mm. they have a thing called the precautionary principle, that if you 
introduce some new technique, usually it's aimed at technology. If you introduce something, you've got to guarantee that not one person is going to be harmed by your innovation. And that will get all the innovation to move someplace else very quickly. It will. I remember when you first started, went to Europe, I said, certainly Europe will be a great place. And then you ran into Europe. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I remember when Uber, when France said, you can't have Uber here. I said, okay, that's interesting. So we now know the countries that said no to Uber early on. I said, those are the technically reversible nations on the planet. So make sure you don't go and start your startup there. Yeah, and it's very funny because I really love London. We have our company in London. Uber just blindsided the my favorite cabs mm-hmm. in the world, which are the black cabs of London. And it takes a master's degree of study for you to get your lifetime medallion as a black cab driver. They took the hit. They didn't petition the government or anything. But within six months, they had created their own Uber app for black cabs. And it just works the same way. And they had just figured out what the app looks like. And all the black cabs are on the same thing. So... I just enjoyed it. And actually, the Uber drivers in London aren't as good as the black cab drivers Mm. because they have to know a thousand streets off the top of their head. They have to know, I think, 5,000 landmarks off the top of their head. So they have that knowledge, plus they have the Uber technology. And it points to the proper way to adjust to a new technology. Be really, really good at something and then use the technology to multiply your goodness to greatness. You know, the three rules you're talking about really apply to entrepreneurs. And, you know, listen, the idea that everything is made up, I mean, obviously, you're not speaking about making up mathematics or that two plus two is five, but the implications of physical laws and what they mean ultimately can be made up, right? We're reinventing new industries all the time and everything is made up originally at one point by somebody. Yeah, but somebody did, you know, it might've been a collection of people who were testing, but the Arabic numbering system is the number one numbering system in the world. Not one time it was an innovation. You know, the creation of zero is one of the greatest mathematical breakthroughs in history. And It's very funny, Greek philosophy and Greek thinking really dominates the philosophical thinking and a lot of the political thinking in the Western world. But that happened because the Greeks, the people who are on the Greek peninsula, you know, they are individual city-states, they were one of the first languages to convert to the alphabet. And it was they who wrote things down in a way that could be easily disseminated. And one of the reasons, I mean, there may have been greater philosophies anywhere in the world, but they didn't have the alphabet to multiply their impact and their significance. I was watching an interview with Gary Kasparov, who was the first chess grandmaster who was defeated by an AI program. He was asked, he says, so what'd that do to the whole world of chess masters? And he said, oh, we now have the same competitions, but everybody's got an AI program as a sidekick. You know, I do have an AI program, and I was just asking ChatGPT, what are three additional rule extensions of those first three rules? Everybody should have, you know, ChatGPT open in almost any conversation or working meeting just to help you think 
differently than the way you normally think. But mm-hmm. you know, the three answers were success is a journey, not a destination. That's a good one. That's a good one. Collaboration is key. Yes. And then the third was mindset matters. And so those are all, I think, good job, chat GPT. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and we came up with others like the world. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows the world. They know about 150 key relationships. We don't have a relationship with the world. That's 8 billion people. Nobody has a relationship with 8 billion people. And when we talk about the world, it's the key people who are connected to us. And the first 15 are more important than the next 120 or 130. We all live in a networked world. And it's the quality of the individuals who make up our world that allows us to have a greater grasp before that. And so I put world. Hmm. And the other thing is the future is guessing and betting. The future is also inspiring and directing, right? Yeah. I do believe that we can take all the assets, everything we know, all the tools that we have, and can direct multitude and your infinite number of futures. So the question becomes, where are leaders actually getting clarity on the future they want? Are there any absolutes, right? And so I think about this a lot. I think about this from an abundance mindset and a moonshot mindset, where for entrepreneurs, the notion that we can create a future in which education is the best available to anyone everywhere for free, that healthcare can be available at its highest levels to anyone everywhere for free, and that a world that's better educated and healthier is a better world for humanity. Mm-hmm. I mean, the question is, do those kinds of absolutes exist? And do those become sort of cornerstones for guiding us? And then there are variations beyond that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we had this conversation on a previous podcast about the educational system. Mm-hmm. And my observation is the fallacy of the educational system is that there's a system. There isn't any system. True. There's good schools, bad schools, good teachers, bad teachers. And you had one of the great teachers uh, as a speaker at A360, and that's Salman Salman Khan, who whole school districts, Salman Khan is now their math instructor, and the math teachers are guides to Salman Khan. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, it's called the Khan Academy, K-H-A-N. Toronto, Toronto-based. And operational around the world. It's free. And Sal was approached by Sam Altman and the team at OpenAI, and they became first users for GPT-4. And what they realized was you don't want an AI educational system that just tells your kid the answers. That's useless. Mm-hmm. What you want is a mentoring system. So they created Con Amigo, in which when you go on as a kid learning something and you say, tell me the answer... You know, Conamigo will say, well, how would you first approach this? What's the first way you would think about Mm -hmm. this? And if you say, I don't know, I say, well, consider this as a first step. So it basically is helping you. Mm -hmm. And then when you get it wrong, it doesn't chastise you. It helps you understand why you got it wrong. And I think, you know, we're about to see a massive educational AI revolution, which is super exciting. Yeah. And it'll be unfair. And I asked my cartoonist, who does all my books, because they're substantially cartoon, because people learn in different ways. And I would suspect that we have a fair amount of dyslexia in our coach membership. We certainly have a very significant amount of ADD 
2,500. We have 2,500 entrepreneurs in Strategic Coach right now. And I can just tell by their responses, you know, you'll say, well, read this. And they say, well, tell me what the three main points. It kind of indicates that they're not readers, you know, and their whole life. Nick Nanton has a movie out, one of his new movies, and it's called The Truth About Reading. And that 55%, according to some statistics he was using, of Americans don't read above a sixth grade level Mm. in school. Okay. And I said, is that a problem? You know? And he said, well, yeah, yeah, because he said they missed the whole principle of reading when they were six or seven years old, and they didn't put the 43 sounds together with the 26 symbols, Mm. and it doesn't make sense to them when they look at the symbols. And he said, but they've been socially promoting now for 25 or 30 years that even though the child can't read, you pass him on to the next grade. Yes. There was a high-tech owner. He has a $100 million Canadian company, and he, he doesn't read. He's gotten to that level without reading. There was a surgeon there who didn't read. There was a school superintendent who didn't read, but they had faked it. But they had said, well, failing is more devastating than not reading. So that's interesting, right? Because we are entering a period where audio, you know, I can listen to a book. In fact, that's what I do. I've gone through hundreds of audible books and I've got a Mm -hmm. couple going any one time. And then just the ability for voice to text. So one of my boys, who's an amazing reader, but his handwriting is terrible. He hates writing stuff. He'll type it, but he hates writing stuff. So the question becomes, you know, where are we heading and what do we need to have as basic skills? That's one of the questions I'm constantly asking is what is relevant education for the decades ahead versus what it was for the past? Can he sell? Uh Aha. Very important. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Entrepreneurship is is on his curriculum. (laughs) No, no. I mean, who gets rewarded today? Really great salespeople, you know, and nobody checks where they went to college, you know. By the way, that's really important. People, you don't. And if you do, if you do ask where you went to school, right, because you're proud of it, and so they don't ever ask you what grades you got. Like, where, do you, where did you end up? Well, I can name on two hands. Yeah. We're above 22,000 who've been in coach now. Yeah. And in person where I have firsthand knowledge of the entrepreneur because I don't coach everybody, mm-hmm. I can name on two hands anyone who even mentions their formal education in any aspect of it. It's something where they were warehoused for 12 or 16 years until they could get out and engage with the real world. Yeah. But I got to believe selling skills are right at the top. Yeah, they are. A couple of thoughts there. I was at an event with a group of CEOs. It was a might have been Singularity University event. And the conversation came up of how many of you started life in sales? Nine out of the 10 started their life in sales. Because if you're a great salesperson, you have the ability to be charming, to lead, to communicate the information differentially, and all those things carry forward for you going forward. And the challenge is we're not teaching that in school. You know, we have 500 people maximum inside the Abundance 360 program, and we filled 80% of the program from last year is the highest renewal rate we've ever done, which I'm very proud of. And this coming year, I'm thinking about 
actually creating a program for spouses and kids to be able to do a simulcast in a different part of the program. Because I think this information about all these technologies and moonshot thinking and AI are, I want our kids to learn those things. I think this is the lingua franca of the future. So I want to brainstorm that with you later sometime, Dan. Yeah. My perception is, and this was a thinking tool in our coach program, when you're going out to the marketplace, are you giving them a convincing argument on why they had to buy? Or are you giving them a compelling offer why they should buy right now? And I find salespeople don't rely on convincing arguments. They rely on compelling offers. Okay. And in order to have a compelling offer, you got to see the world from the listener's standpoint. You got to know what this person is looking for. And if anything, I think that the four years of higher education and a lot of them with seven years of higher education and something actually disenables people from making compelling offers. Hmm. Their brain gets too bogged down. Well, they're into arguing. And they have to go negative on the competition. Just make them an offer of what they're after and where it will get them right away. You know, when I first discussed with you the possibility of coach being very, very supportive of A360, I didn't make a convincing argument. I simply said, you know, name the date, name the price, you know, (laughs) name the agenda, and I'll put so many butts in seats, right? Yeah, I mean, there wasn't a convincing argument. The result was the argument, you know. And I think that America is a selling country, I think, more than any other country in the world. The people who moved the country from the Atlantic to the Pacific weren't making convincing arguments. They were making compelling offers. Um, Mm -hmm. Free land. Improve it over five years and you own the land. And this to Europeans who in six generations ahead would never own any land in Europe because it was all controlled by wealthy people who didn't want other people to have land. So I think there's no better example of a compelling offer than in, you know, the longevity stuff that I'm working on. Right. So in like Fountain Life, like I'm going to add 20 healthy years onto your life. I'm going to keep you from dying from something stupid, right? Understand what's going on inside your body. So it's interesting, right? But people still don't get that. I was interesting. I was giving a talk to a three YPO chapters coming together. And I said, if you had the option to be able to add 20 years of healthy life, health span, how much of your current net worth would you offer up? And I started at 10%, went to 20%, ended up at 50%. I didn't. And the majority of the room was still standing at 50%. Some people were not. There's a interesting disconnect there, right? I mean, mm-hmm. what are you making? What are you collecting all this capital and resources for, if not for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Warren Buffett was talking to Columbia Business School. He graduated from Columbia. And a student said, is there anything, Mr. Buffett, that you would give your entire fortune for? And Warren Buffett said, how old are you? And the student said, 21. He said, I'd give my entire fortune for 21, knowing what I know now. Yes. Amazing. That sums it up. That sums it up. He's gifted at great answers, but that was a great answer. And it's true. 
you know, you can only spend so much money in your lifetime. And the question is what you do with that capital, mm-hmm. what you do with your time, what you do with your talents mm-hmm. that matters so much. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the big thing you want to make up right to go back to my three roles? What are you making up right now that's most exciting to you? Yeah. So for me, I'm focused on two areas. One is making up a clear vision of extended health span. It's around a transformation of how people think about their age and their health and how long they have on this planet. The second area is a focus on mindsets, is around creating a purpose-driven abundance mindset. And, you know, it's interesting because you're right, I took charge when I was focused on opening up space, and now I'm staking in the ground through my venture fund, through Fountain, through Buttons360, through my other companies, staking in the ground about this longevity future, Mm -hmm. right? And there's arguments. People are so invested in death. Mm -hmm. They're so invested in, it was interesting, it was a conversation, one of the guys in the health industry says, all of this is ridiculous, you know, hundreds of millions of years of evolution haven't extended our health span. Why do we think we can do that now. And one of my team members, Rainey, wrote back and said, hundreds of millions of years haven't gotten humans flying either. Why do we think we can fly through the sky? Mm-hmm. And it's true. You know, We should not be held back by preconceived notions that aren't breaking the laws of physics. Mm-hmm. We know that large-scale mammals, bowhead whales can live 200 years and Greenland sharks can live 500 years. So you know, there's no reason why we can't do the engineering with the advanced tools to get there. Yeah. In my area, the thing that I'm making up is the first program for entrepreneurs where they can capitalize on all their creative problem solving since the first day that they were in business and turn it into intellectual property. I mean, it's very easy to do for $500. Now you can get all of your previous solutions copyrighted, registered copyright and trademark. So we have 200 trademarks and we have 1600 copyrights but two weeks ago we just submitted our first 22 patents through keegan caldwell who's now in santa monica now he's yes. right at wilshire and ocean i think i ran into him at the gym <laughs> yeah he's just created a super fast process for getting a patent submitted and a patent approved and He created a software which identifies all the yes people in the Patent Bureau, and it tells you which no people to avoid. And then the government has certain special categories where for a little bit more money to the government, you can get a patent more quickly under favorable circumstances. Since last June, we started this program. Uh, 140 coach clients have submitted at least one patent, and total it's 650 patents. And there's outside brokerages now that will give you an immediate company evaluation. And those first 650 have been evaluated at $3.5 billion, okay? There are big lending organizations, Aon Insurance, one of the largest insurance companies in the world, that once you are established by an appraisal from a brokerage firm, they will lend you up to half of your appraised value for this is for patents only. It's not trademarks or copyrights, it's patents only. So that's my big thing. And my 21 year goal, I'll be 79 
beat you by a day, Peter. And, uh, <laughs> I change yours a day before you do. And my 21-year goal, that takes me to 100 in 2044, is that the total IP value of active strategic coach clients is $15 trillion. Yes. $15 trillion. Love it. And people are saying, you know, uh, how that ever happened? And I said, well, if I look back 21 years ago where I was, I wouldn't have imagined where I am today. And I said, same thing happens with the future. Absolutely. You know, it is a an exponential future ahead. And people, you know, we're stuck with our linear mindset. You have to believe and build towards it. What about the third? Life's not fair. Yeah. How do you extrapolate there? Well, fairness is a human creation. It was made up by humans. Nature isn't fair either. Evolution, period, isn't fair. Something gets advantaged, other things get disadvantaged. But we looked it up, and in the English language anyway, which is by far the biggest language, three times the next language has got over a million words with thousands being created every day. The first mention of fairness is around 1600, so it's about 400 years old, fairness. But if you look back to 1600, if you look back to the year 1600, none of the economic and political conditions would in any way suggest that life was fair, okay? And it's a concept that was really created, and the thing that put fairness in the center was actually the Industrial Revolution, where somebody could come from nowhere and with a new technology could create a fortune. There was a lot of resistance to that because they weren't educated. They, they weren't part of the royal family. <laughs> you know, they weren't connected right. They hadn't come the long way. And the whole world changes. And that was in 1776. Watt's engine, March of 1776, was the first one that gave a 25% greater return on energy than was put into the engine. And it just takes off right from there. I'm sure Ray Kurzweil can track the exponential of mm. energy production right back to then, and it follows Moore's law. I'll tell you where Life's Not Fair fits in for me and my abundance community. We're about to see you know, massive change as all of these technologies hit entrepreneurs, hit CEOs, hit government leaders. And there's going to be a lot of displacement. There's going to be a tsunami of change that's either going to crush people or elevate people. And that change for me is if you understand where things are going and have the right mindset to be playing with it, you're going to survive and thrive, yeah. right? AI is not going to displace humans. Humans using AI will displace humans not using it as an example. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so for me, I'm looking to give those insights to our members. And, you know, that's what we do together, Dan, so that people can navigate these very rapidly changing. So they're not fearful about the future. Because when you're in fear, yeah. this is what you first said to me, Peter, you don't live in fear about the future. You're excited about it. Mm -hmm. But if you do live in fear about the future, you're always reactive. You're on your heels moving backwards instead of rushing towards the opportunities coming our way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm noticing the greatest fear in the public among the most highly educated people, okay? And there was a change of the current sort of reversed itself in 08, 09 with the economic downturn that was 
triggered by the subprime, but there was a lot of other issues Mm -hmm. that contributed to that. And up until that time, there was a sort of a unspoken agreement that it didn't matter how much money you borrowed to go to university. It didn't matter how much your university cost. It would be amortized by your income. And I think that was broken in 2009. And it's not true anymore. It's not true anymore. To give you an idea, there's one statistic that I just zero in on, and it's if you're 18 years old and you take a professional welding course sponsored by the industry, the welding industry, you know, it's reasonable. It's a couple thousand dollars. And at the end of the first year, you're making $60,000. If you show up on time, do what you say you're going to do, finish what you start and say please and thank you, mm-hmm. you'll be making, at the end of five years, you'll be making 100000 Compare that to an 18-year-old who starts borrowing to go to four years of university or college, where they are at the end of four years. And then there's no employment that's really guaranteed, given a lot of the subjects that people are learning in college have no market value whatsoever. So what I would say the displaced people in the coming AI revolution, which is already here, is actually at the higher levels of theoretical credentialism where they've spent four years, six years, and they're credentialed with a doctorate, a master's degree, but they have no marketplace value. And I think that the fear is coming that they guessed wrong and they bet wrong. Yeah. You know, Dan, I know we need to wrap up here, but why don't we actually do our next episode on this fear and scarcity versus optimism and abundance? I think that's important, right? Mindset is so critically important. But listen, I love those three rules that you have and excited for the next book. I've written a book. I've written a book. The book is available on June 1st. And you can read my books in an hour because I have mainly ADD readers. And uh, they have cartoons. They have an audio. They have a video. So I'm hitting all the possible bases. But, But I think this set of mindsets, you know, mm-hmm. pessimistic, optimistic mindset is the key to the future for every individual yeah. specifically. All right, buddy. See you on our next episode. Thank you, Peter. Take care, Dan.